of tonight. We're going to finish the plagues. And then also it's going to be the uh, the final one is the death of the firstborn. But it's been building up to this. So this is found in Exodus 10, first verse. And it goes through the 13th chapter and the 16th verse. Parshat Bo. Now, Bo normally means come. But in this instance, it means go. Because he's talking to Moshe. And he's not saying, he, what he ought to be saying is, um, if we're looking at the word Bo, is come into Pharaoh. But the, it's translated, go into Pharaoh. Moshe said, uh, God said to Moshe, Go into Pharaoh, for I have let his heart and the heart of his servants be unmoved in order to set up my signs in his midst. So it's just like we were talking about last week. That there was a purpose for this hardening of Pharaoh's heart. That it was going to make him more steadfast in the way that he had already chosen to go. In those choices he had already made. So it's not talking about changing his free will because this is something that is like it's a rule. Hashem does not change anybody's free will. He does not negate that free will. And it's the same thing with Pharaoh. A lot of times people will read this story and they make the mistake of thinking that Hashem negated the the free will of the Pharaoh by hardening his heart. So the Pharaoh did not have a choice. And that's really not true at all. And so you may tell in the ears of your son and your son's sons the succession of acts in which I have revealed myself upon this rhyme and my signs that I have established among them so that that you may recognize that I am God. So here he's speaking with Moshe and and he's making it clear that this is supposed to be setting for all time. For Israel to to retell this story, that this is the establishment of the nationhood of Israel, and in fact, we always retell the Exodus from Egypt. We know you know that we retell it at Passover time, but we also retell it other times, or we remember it other times. We remember it when we daven in in uh, the standing Amida. We remember it after we bless the, um, at the end of the meal when we say Berkat HaMazon. We remember the Exodus. That's part of those prayers. So it's, it's an event that is supposed to be always in the forefront of the memory of the people of Israel. That we should never forget that we were slaves in Egypt and that Hashem rescued us with a strong and outstretched arm and Moshe and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him thus God the God of the Hebrews has spoken how long will you refuse to humble yourself before my countenance let my people go so they may serve me for if you will refuse to let my people go lo I will bring locusts to your territory tomorrow the locust plague will cover the eye of the earth so that the eye will not be able to see the earth 
and it will and the plague will eat up the remnant of what has been saved. What remained after the hail? It will eat it up every tree that grows for you from the field. So we're talking about a period of time right before spring, right as spring is coming. There's going to be the um, the plague of the of the locust, and then we're going to have the plague of the darkness. So it's in the springtime. Actually, it's interesting, yeah, that it would have been um, because the whole all of the plagues lasted together a year. So this would have been like um, in the month of Shabbat. It's interesting because it would have been like the time of Tubishvat. And it's the time when the trees aren't actually going to be, when it talks about and they ate the fruit of the tree, it would have been the blossoms of the tree, not the actual fruit. Because it's real early spring. Because Nisan comes in actual spring. Your house and the houses of all your servants and the houses of all Mitzrites will be filled in a manner that neither your your fathers nor your fathers' fathers have seen since the day that they were on earth until this day. Thereupon he turned and went away from Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's servant said to him, How long shall this man be a snare for us? Let the men go and serve God their God. Do you not yet realize that Mitzrayim is lost? And so Moshe turned around and he left so that the servants of Pharaoh could counsel with him, hoping that they would, you know, giving them that chance because the Mitzrites, the Egyptians, are being given every single chance. He let them go ahead and counsel with Pharaoh. And when he says, how long shall this man be a snare for us, when they're saying this, they're suggesting that Moshe's playing a game with them. They're suggesting that he's being less than honest about this whole situation. But Moshe's been straight with them the whole time. He's been totally upfront with them the whole time. But they don't see it that way because their vision of how things are in reality, their vision of reality, is not accurate at all. And Moshe and Aaron were brought to Pharaoh again, and he said to them, Go serve your God, God your God, but who are the ones that are going are to go? Moshe replied, We will go with our young, with our old, with our sons, with our daughters, with our sheep, with our cattle, for we have a festival of God. And he said to them, So may God be with you as long as I will let you and your children go. See your faces turned toward evil. See, this is Pharaoh saying to Moshe that he doesn't trust him. Not so. Go, please, those of you who are men, and serve your God, for this is, after all, what you desire. And he drove them out from Pharaoh's presence. And God said to Moshe, Stretch out your hand over the land of Mitzrayim against the locust plague, so that it may come up over the land of Mitzrayim. It will eat up all the herbage of the land, everything that the hail has left over. Amoshe stretched out his staff over the land of Mitzrayim, and God had already brought the east wind upon the earth all day and all night. Morning came, and the east wind had picked up the locusts. The locust plague came upon the entire land of Mitzrayim. 
descended upon the entire territory of Mitzrayim. It was exceedingly severe. Thus, there never had been such a locust plague like this before, and there will never be one like it after. It covered the eye of the entire land. The land became dark, and it ate up all the herbage of the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left over. And like I said, the fruit of the trees is the blossoms, not actual fruit. Not a green thing remained on the trees and on the herbage of the field in all the land of Mitzrayim. And Pharaoh sent for Moshe and Aaron in haste and said, I have sinned against God your God and against you. And now please forgive my sin again only this once and let the entreaty break through to God your God so that he may take only away this death from me. So he's saying again, he's saying only this once, only this once. But he says it over and over. It's Pharaoh who's the one who is not honest. He's the one who's dealing, double dealing here. And so because he's doing it he assumes that Moshe is also. People always seem to see their own bad traits in people they're dealing with. Have you ever noticed that? And the same is true with Pharaoh. I mean, we can learn a lot about human nature as we learn Torah. And so Pharaoh is seeing his own faults and his own flaws, projecting them on Moshe and saying he's not trustworthy. Well, the truth of the matter is, Moshe isn't being straight with Pharaoh, though, because he doesn't intend to just go away for three days and come back. He doesn't intend that at all. As a matter of fact, he doesn't really say that, does he? He says, let us go three days' journey so that we may worship our God. He never says we're coming back. You notice that in the text, that he doesn't ever say anything about that, whether they're coming back or not. He just says... Let us go three days' journey so that we may worship our God. That's all he ever says. And so he leaves the rest of that in the air. And Pharaoh calls this, notice that, that Pharaoh calls this evil. Pharaoh, who has enslaved these people, who has tried to annihilate the, the male children of this people, who has tried every dirty trick in the book, is calling Moshe evil. And so that's kind of an interesting thing when we kind of look at it from a psychological point of view. How he, who is very diabolical himself, is seeing the same kind of um, trait, projecting that trait into Moshe. And Hashem sees it. And we have to remember that as this whole thing is progressing, Hashem is squeezing Pharaoh. He is showing, getting what is really inside Pharaoh. What is really inside the Egyptians themselves to show itself. And he's doing that for a reason. He's not just doing that to be mean, like we said before. He's doing that so that when the judgment comes, that it will, that everybody will understand that it was righteous judgment. That it was with cause that he does this. He went away from Pharaoh, Moshe, and entreated God. God again brought a very strong west wind. It picked up the locusts and plunged them into the sea of reeds. Not one locust remained in all the territory of Mitzrayim. In this manner, God made Pharaoh's heart 
of Durant again. And he did not let the sons of Israel go. And God said to Moshe, Stretch out your hand toward the sky, and there will be darkness over the land of Mitzrayim, and the darkness will make the people of Mitzrayim grow. Moshe stretched out his hand toward the sky, and there was an all-enveloping darkness over the land of Mitzrayim, and the darkness made the people of Mitzrayim grow. Moshe stretched out his hand toward the sky, okay, and they were in darkness for three days. And they did not see one another, and no one rose up from his place for three days, but all the sons of Israel had light in their dwellings. Now this wasn't dark like a normal nighttime dark. This dark was a thick, tangible darkness where they literally, the Egyptians, could not see, and it frightened them, where they were prisoners right in the spot where they were. They could not move because they couldn't see a thing. And one of the things that is in Midrash, it's not in the written text, is that during this time of darkness, there were those among the people of Israel who did not want to leave Egypt. Now, it's kind of an interesting thing when we think about it, because we read about the era of Rav, we read about the troublemakers, and so on and so forth, but we're told that 80% of the people of Israel did not want to leave Egypt. And these people actually died during this plague of darkness. Under this cover of darkness, when the Egyptians couldn't see what was happening, the people of Israel were burying these people. And it's not even in the written text. It's in Midrash that we know this. Every time that we have had a redemption from the exile, including Egypt, not everybody came out because not everybody wanted to. When we had the exile of Babylon, not everybody came out. Not everybody wanted to. And in fact, a lot of the people who came to Israel in our day, in the 50s and 60s, from Iraq were descended from those people who were the families of, of the Babylonian community all those years ago to the destruction of the first temple in the days of Nebuchadnezzar. And so there they were in, in Babylon all those years. And But Egypt was different. Hashem was not going to allow any of the people of Israel to just remain there. If they didn't want to leave Egypt, for whatever reason, I can't imagine why somebody would choose to stay in a place of horrible, oppressive slavery. But for whatever reason, they didn't want to leave Egypt. They died during this plague of darkness. And it was during that time when the people of Israel buried them. So that it was like a secret. Because it would be a really, um, it would be profaning Hashem's name if there were people who were saying well I don't want to go and so they were they were buried during that time so the Israelites did have light in their dwellings they had light and the Pharaoh sent for Moshe and said go serve God only your sheep and your cattle shall remain behind let your children also go with you and Moshe replied you yourself must place meal offerings and ascent offerings into our hands so that we may offer them to God, our God. 
and our property must also go with us. Not one hoof may remain behind, for we must take of it in order to serve God, our God. We do not know with what we will have to serve God until the time we come there. Now, when he said to Pharaoh, you yourself have to place that in our hand. I mean, think about that for a moment. What would that mean if the Pharaoh and the Egyptians are placing into the hands of the Israelites those items that are going to be sacrificed? And then the, the people of Israel sacrifice those things. What does that indicate? What does that suggest to us? I mean, can we think about that for a moment? What, what, kind of, uh, what kind of idea comes to your mind? If somebody else puts the sacrifice into the hands of the priest, and then the priest makes that sacrifice, what does that suggest to you? That's a good point. The Egyptians would be killing their gods. But also another thing, that those sacrifices are also for the Egyptians that this is going to be a first time when Israel is going to be called the priestly nation of all nations. And they're going to be sacrificing those sacrifices that are placed into their hands by the Egyptians. Now remember that Hashem has not decided to totally annihilate Egypt like he did Sodom and Gomorrah. Egypt has hope here. He's going to take them all the way through from beginning to end of the oppression, the exile, and the redemption of the people of Israel. Egypt is going to go all the way through this with Israel. The whole picture is going to be played out. And so, at the very end of that, what's going to happen? I mean, think about it. It's very interesting that Israel is going to be the priestly nation for all of the world. And so, part of that picture of redemption in spite of the fact that God is going to deal with the, the enemy, he's going to deal with their stubbornness and all of this. But on the other hand, Israel is still going to offer up sacrifices for that nation and for the people of that nation. They're not being wiped out. Hashem is still dealing with them. And so that's an interesting thought that at the end of time, after I mean, this gives us a picture of the final redemption. At the end of time, after the war of Gog and Magog, after he deals with all the nations of the world, because that's coming, then after that happens, then what do we read in Zechariah? That all the nations will have to go up for Sukkot. And at that time, what do the priests of Israel do? They sacrifice 70 sacrifices. And those 70 sacrifices are on behalf of all the 70 root nations of the world. Every Sukkot. I mean, even now, when we go um, for Sukkot on those certain days, we'll go to the Kotel, and all of the Kohanim are at the Kotel, and there are prayers that they pray for all the nations of the world at Sukkot. And so this is the first time, and there's a hint of this in this where... Moshe is giving warning to Pharaoh there's still that hint of this very thing that this is Israel's place in the world actually there is a list of those 70 root nations and it's in Parshat Noah it's those um, and that list is the, the root nations 
of the world. And as a matter of fact, it's after they come off of the ark. We see it in the 10th chapter of Bereshit, where it talks about after the flood and the sons of Noah's sons, the lineage, and you can count, there are 70. And they're the root nations. And God let Pharaoh's heart become obdurate, and he would not consent to let them go. Pharaoh replied to him, Go away from me. Take heed. Do not come before my face. For as soon as you will come before my face again, you shall die. Thereupon Moshe said, You have spoken well. I will not come before your face again. For God had said to Moshe, I will bring yet one more plague upon Paro and upon Mitzrayim. After that, he will send you away from here. When he does send you away, he will drive you out completely with force. Please speak in the ears of the people that each man may ask of his friend and each woman from her friend articles of silver and gold. And God let the Mitzrayim see that the people were worthy of favor. The man, Moshe, too, was very great in the land of Mitzrayim, in the eyes of the servants of Paro and the eyes of the people. Therefore, Moshe continued, This is what God has said. When night will divide itself again, I will step forth into the midst of Mitzrayim, and every firstborn in the land of Mitzrayim shall die. From the firstborn of Paro who sits upon his throne to the firstborn of the slave girl who stands behind the mill and all the firstborn of the cattle. And then there will be a great cry throughout the land of Mitzrayim such as there has never been before and there will never be again. But against any of the sons of Israel from man to beast not a dog will move its tongue so that you may recognize that God makes a miraculous distinction between Mitzrayim and Israel. Then all these servants of yours will come down to me and throw themselves at my feet, saying, Leave you and all your people who follow you, and after that I will go out. He went away from Paro in hot anger. God said to Moshe, Paro will not hearken to you, so that my instructive miracles may be multiplied in the land of Mitzrayim. And Moshe and Aaron had performed these instructive miracles before Paro, and God had let Paro's heart be obdurant, so that he did not let the sons of Israel go from his land. So, he warned him, he warned him that the worst was yet to come. Now think about this for a moment. Why we have reasons for each of the other plagues, that they stood for certain things and so on. Why would, what is the purpose of the plague of the firstborn? What is that? The death of the firstborn was to give a certain message. And what do you think that was? Well, the people of Israel were going to become the priestly nation of the world. And Hashem said that he sanctified to himself the firstborn of all the people of Israel the firstborn son, that he would take to himself the firstborn. And notice that when when um, Paro was killing the male children, yeah, it was all the male children, 
But Hashem is saying, I'm taking to myself the firstborn. So this is another message to Haro, that he is trying to obstruct the priesthood of Israel, which is going to be, at this time, the firstborn. And so, as a punishment, measure for measure, Hashem said, okay, you don't want to let them come and have their firstborn be priest to me, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take your firstborn. It's in each one of the plagues is measure for measure. And this one we can see a parallel between the purpose of God for Israel and then how he strikes Egypt. And we notice too, we always have this tendency to think that whenever it was a, that it was the death angel that flew over Egypt. But actually, when we read the text, we see that it is, and, and Hashem says later, it was not an angel, it was me. It was myself who did this. And so we're going to see this in the text. And God said to Moshe and Aaron in the land of Mitzrayim as follows, The renewal of the moon shall be for you a beginning of new moons. It shall be for you the first among the months of the year. Now notice this. As the people are getting ready to come out, as they're getting ready to become the nation of Israel, this sanctification of the moon, the actual beginning of the months of the year, is the first commandment that they receive. Now, when we look at that, it's very interesting because it's, it brings to mind another covenant because he's bringing Israel into covenant. And he says, look to the sky. Look to the sky and see a sign. And what do they see when they look to the sky? They see this, this sliver of the moon, this silver crescent, this tiny sliver of light in the sky. Now, it makes us think about another time earlier when Hashem said to Noah, look to the sky. And it's almost the same shape. I mean, think about it. It's, it's the same shape. The keshet, the rainbow that comes in the sky. He says, look to the sky. And there is the sign of the covenant. And so here is the beginning of Israel is going to become the nation. This is the first month of the year. And it is the month of Nisan. And it begins with the, the new moon. So he's is establishing that the year, the counting of the year for Israel is going to begin with Nisan and the law of sanctifying the moon. That is a very important law. But now we think about Noah again. And when in Breshit it said that the rains began in the second month of the year, we have to realize something, that the counting of the months were different. Here he's changing even the counting of the months, that the year is going to begin at a different place of the time of the year from the universal counting of the year. Because the universal counting of the year was with the creation of man. And that began in Tishrei. And so when it says that the rains fell in the 17th day of the second month, it was talking about the second, uh, the 17th day of the month of Cheshvan, 
was when the, the uh, rain of the flood came. So here Hashem is saying for the counting of the months. And it becomes confusing, and I understand that, that the counting of the years begin with a universal point, and that is Tishrei, because we count from creation. But the counting of the months for Israel begin with Nisan. It begins with Israel emerging from Egypt and becoming a nation. And this is the month of Nisan. And this is what we also, this is another um, concept that is very distinctly uh, unique and very, it's new. It's beginning, it's being introduced here. And this is the concept of Moed. Moed is a heavenly appointment, a heavenly meeting, a time it's a place in time, actually. And so, we say, Moedim Simcha. That's happy, uh, like the, the time is happy, but it's a, it's a meeting place. Now, we should not become confused and, and um, think in any way like this is like the pagans who sanctify the moon in their own way and and they're tied to the seasons and so on and so forth. It's different. This is different. There's a slight, you know, and you can make the mistake. Easily you can make this mistake. But it is still, there is a difference. And, and it has to do with um, the purpose. That it's not, the purpose isn't nature. The purpose is meeting with Hashem. But this is a mark in time where we are going to meet with Hashem. So, he said, speak to the whole community of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, they shall take each man for himself a lamb, for each parental home, a lamb for each household. Now, it could be a lamb or it could be a kid goat, either one. And if the household too small for one lamb, he and his neighbor who is close to his house shall take one according to the added number of souls, according to each one's eating, shall make your count for the lamb. And the whole purpose of this sacrifice was to eat it. It was supposed to be completely eaten. And it's and this is another um, example of a concept that we call Yotze, where one person will do a mitzvah and every person is Yotze that mitzvah. We, in other words, the one person <coughs> is taking that lamb and he is slaughtering that lamb on behalf of all these different people in his household. But in order for it to count for all those people, each one of those people is an individual person who has an individual free will. They're no longer slaves. And so they yotze this. They say, yes, I want to be counted. I want this lamb to be for me as well. But the lambs were not supposed to be for individuals. Those individuals were supposed to make up households. So it was one lamb for a household. But you could bring two households together if your household was too small. But, like I said, it had to be with permission. It shall be 
to you a complete lamb, a male of the first year. You may take it from sheep or from goats. And notice this, that it is a, a one-year lamb. It's a very strong, healthy lamb. He's not frail. He's not meek. He is a very vigorous, he's, he's youthful lamb. It shall be for your safekeeping. And in other words, they had to watch over this lamb until the 14th day of this month. From the 10th to the 14th, they had to keep the lamb and they had to watch over it. Afterwards, the whole assembly of the community of Israel shall slaughter it between the two evenings. That's between the 14th and the 15th. So it would be in the afternoon. And they shall take the blood and put it on the two doorposts and upon the lintel, upon the houses in which they are to eat it. Say a one-year lamb. Yes, it says a one-year lamb. Of the first year, right. So it's not like it's one year and something. It's like going to be one year. It's in the first year. But it's called a yearling lamb. And they... So it's going to be on the day in the afternoon of the 14th of Nisan. This has to be toward evening. It's between the two evenings. And they shall take of the blood and put it upon the two doorposts and upon the lintel, upon the houses in which they are to eat it. Can everybody see the little picture here that I have on the whiteboard? Okay, well that's a, a very good example. So you have here, this is the doorpost here, and here's the lintel. So what this is also indicating is that the doorpost and the lintel of a house represents the structure. You're going in and out, yeah, but the lintel is like the roof protects you from the elements and the doorposts are like representative of the walls of the house that keep out um, wild animals from harming the uh, family and so what the blood on the doorposts and the lentils is representing is that they're not depending upon the structure of the house for their protection but rather upon Hashem himself And this is a, a great statement of faith. And that was why they had to do this. And it was also a statement of faith that in the face of the enemy of uh, um, Egypt, that they were killing the god, one of the gods of Egypt, and they were putting its blood right there where they could all see it. So this is also faith. Then they shall eat the meat during the night, roasted with fire, and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs. Shall they eat it? Now the unleavened bread was called the bread of affliction, the bread of slavery, because they didn't have time to let it rise. The bread that is with yeast is called the bread of freedom because you have the luxury, the leisure to let it rise. And so it's called the bread of freedom. And so for the faith, and, and we're going to get to that in a minute, 
the reason that we go through the house and we and we clean all of the the hummets, all of the leavening out of the house, is that it's our faith, our remembering when we were slaves. It's that we are not going to have like this rebellion of saying, "Oh well, we're free now." We're always going to remember there was a time when we were slaves, and so we clean out all of those, uh, all of the leaven from our house. So that we don't have that, like, affront to Hashem. Say, oh well, here we are. And you shall not eat it half done. See, they had to cook it all the way. They, and not cooked in water, as usual. In no other way but roasted with a fire. The head and the legs and the entrails. So they had to roast it on a spit, suspended. Because it was like in midair. This is another symbol of instability whereas if it were cooked in a pot it was like on the ground your feet are on the ground and you're stable but this lamb in midair is a symbol of instability of your situation is shaky and so that's another thing that there was has to be this memory of this and you shall not leave any of it over until morning and any of it that will remain until morning you shall burn in fire. And this is how you shall eat it. With your loins girded, your shoes upon your feet, and your staff in your hand, you shall eat it in haste. It is a Pesach intended for God. I will pass through the land of Mitzrayim on that night, and I will kill every firstborn in the land of Mitzrayim, from man to beast. And I will perform acts of judgment upon all the gods of Mitzrayim I God so here the court of heaven has sat in judgment on Mitzrayim and upon all the gods of Mitzrayim and when we get to the crossing of the sea we're going to see some of that too where that is manifest and the blood shall serve you as a sign for you upon the houses in which you are I will see the blood and I will pass over you and no fatal blow shall strike you while I strike the land of Mitzrayim this day shall remain for you as a memorial and you shall celebrate it as a festival consecrated to God you shall celebrate it for your descendants as an everlasting statute so Pesach is the very first no um it, this was just a picture that I found. There's no significance to that shape of the blood. Um, I just found that picture. I found others that had just a smear. So Pesach is the first festival that was commanded by God for us to celebrate. Now, we could say that actually Shabbat was because you take Shabbat all the way back to the garden. But when Shabbat is commanded for the people of Israel, they are already in the wilderness and so the first festival that they actually get as a nation is Pesach seven days shall you eat only unleavened bread however on that first day you shall clear away all leaven from your house for whoever eats anything leavened that soul shall be cut off from Israel from the first day until the seventh and like I said this is a very important thing that we that would not eat any leavening. In fact, it said, anyone who during those seven days that commemorate our rise to freedom 
eats a quantity of comets, the leavening, equivalent to the size of an olive, partakes of the bread of independence in any quantity sufficient for the preservation of life, which is that uh, size of an olive, thereby denies the divine origin of our freedom and asserts that it was achieved by man without the aid of God. And that is why it is so strongly stressed that if you do eat hummets during this time, your soul will be cut off. Because you're saying that this was done by the accomplishment of man. You're denying the hand of Hashem bringing the people of Israel out. So it's a very, very important thing that we make sure we don't eat hummus during this time. And on the first day there shall be for you a convocation to the sanctuary. And on the seventh day a convocation to the sanctuary. No creating work may be done on them. However, that which can be can serve as food for all men, only that may be done for you. And you shall keep watch over the cakes of unleavened bread. For on this very day I brought your host out from the land of Mitzrayim. And thus you shall keep this day for your descendants as an everlasting statute. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month, in the evening... You shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month in the evening. Seven days no leaven shall be found in your houses. For whoever eats anything containing hummets, that soul shall be cut off from the community of Israel. Whether he shall, has come from abroad or whether he is a native of the land. Um, no, it is not for Gentiles. This is, and, and we're going to get to that about the, the um, restrictions of that. This is only for the people of Israel. Who, whatever contains hummets, you must not eat. You shall eat matzah, matzot in all your dwelling places. And then Moshe called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go out and take for yourselves sheep for your families and slaughter the Pesach offering. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood that is in the basin. I touch the lintel and the two doorposts with some of the blood that is in the basin. But as for yourselves, none of you shall go out from this house until morning. Now here is an example in the written Torah of oral Torah. Because when we read what Hashem said, he did not say how to do it. But now Moshe is explaining to the people how to do it. He's saying, take a bunch of hyssop and dip it into the blood. So he's explaining to them how they should do it. And so this is an example of how oral Torah works, how the Talmud works, where we how it is explained in this manner you shall do it. And God will pass through in order to strike Mitzrayim. And he will see the blood upon the lintel and upon the two doorposts. And God will pause as he passes over the entrance and will not permit that which destroys to enter your houses to deal a mortal blow. You shall keep this word so that it may be a statute for you and your children forever. And it shall come to pass that when you come to the land which God will give you, as he has said, you shall keep this service. And it will come to pass when your sons will say to you, What is this service to you? He will say, this is the meal of deliverance performed 
through a passing over, a pausing, Passover, consecrated to God, who paused as he passed over the houses of the sons of Israel and Mitzrayim, and struck Mitzrayim mortally, and rescued our houses. And the people bowed down and cast themselves down. Now, they hear where he says, and you, when your sons will ask, this is the very thing that we do every year at Pesach. We have our, our children, the youngest one will say, what, what is so special about this night? Why is this night different from other nights? And this is part of the, uh, the service that we do every year. And the sons of Israel went and did as God had commanded Moshe and Aaron. So did they do. It came to pass in the middle of the night that God struck down every firstborn in the land of Mitzrayim, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne to the firstborn of the captive woman in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of cattle. Pharaoh arose in the night, and he and all his servants and all of Mitzrayim. And there was a great cry in Mitzrayim, for there was no house where there was not one dead. And he called Moshe and Aaron during the night and said, Arise, go away from among my people, you as well as the sons of Israel, and go, serve God as you have spoken. Take also your sheep and also your cattle as you have spoken, and go, and bless me also. Mitzrayim used force upon the people to send them away from the land in haste, but they said, We are all dead men. So they're saying, get out of here. Get, just go. We're all dead men. And the, because they were, they had no way of knowing. Now he's killed the firstborn. What's, you know, they had no way of knowing if there might be more to come. And the people picked up their dough before it was leavened, their kneading troughs being bound upon their clothes, upon their shoulders. And the sons of Israel had done according to the word of Moshe, and asked of Mitzrayim gold and silver articles and garments. And God let Mitzrayim see the people were worthy of favor. They anticipated their request and stripped Mitzrayim bare. The sons of Israel set out from Ramesses to Sukkot. Now, wait, let's just stop right there. Before the people of Israel left, there was one more thing they had to do. There was one more thing they had to remember before they went out of the land. Do you know what that is? They had to remember to take Yosef with them. And so Moshe, during this time when all the people are getting ready and they're asking their neighbors of the articles of silver and gold and so on and so forth, he has to find Moshe, um, Yosef's coffin because brothers of Yosef had promised that they would take his bones up to the land of Israel. And so Moshe was bound by that promise. And it's a really lovely story how he found the coffin of Yosef. It was Sarah, but Asher, was the only one still living who knew where it was. She knew where it was sunk in the Nile. <clears throat> and so she went with Moshe. She told him where it was. And they went together while all the people are busily trying to get ready to leave. And he wrote on a, on a tablet, Rise up, O ox. He said, Sure, you know. And he threw it into the Nile, and the coffin of, Moshe, of uh, Yosef rose up, floated on the water, and he was able to take it. And it was weighted down with lead so that it would be on the bottom of the Nile. They did this because 
They considered him like a god. They wanted his blessing on the Nile. And they didn't want, and they wanted his body hidden too. And so that's how they were able to find the, um, and retrieve the coffin of Yosef. Because at first Moshe is saying, if I can't find it, then I'm released from this promise because there's nothing I can do. But it was Sarah, Bat Asher, who led them to the coffin of Yosef, led him to it. And it was very important that they would, um, he wrote on that, rise up, O ox. That was the words he wrote, wrote on the tablet. The sons of Israel set out from Ramesses to Sukkot, about six times 100,000 men on foot, not counting the children. A great mixed multitude also went up with them, and sheep and cattle, a very considerable herd. They baked the dough that they brought out from its rime into unleavened cakes, for it was not leavened, for they had been driven out of its rime and could not linger. And they did not even they had not even prepared provisions for themselves. Now the manner in which the sons of Israel dwelled in the throne had lasted four hundred thirty years. And it came to pass at the end of four hundred and thirty years, on that very day, it came to pass that all the hosts of God went out from the land of Mitzrayim. Now when we read this four hundred and thirty years now that count is not the time, all the time they were in this ride. It isn't. Oh, okay, you ask why ox? Because Yosef is also called the ox. That's another, um, that's a symbol for Yosef, and that's a symbol for his tribes as well, is the ox. And we're going to talk about that more when we get to the whole story of the golden calf very interesting so they all came out the host of God went out from the land of Mitzrayim it was night of abundant solicitous vigil keeping for God to bring them out from the land of Mitzrayim this night remains for all the sons of Israel an abundant painstaking vigil keeping to God for their descendants and God said to Moshe and Aaron this is a requirement for the Pesach offering. No son of alien values may eat of it. Now here is the answer to your question, Russell. Now we're getting to where the lines are drawn about Pesach. Now of course, non-Jewish people are absolutely not required whatsoever to keep Pesach. This is a Jewish festival. But non-Jewish people can come with into a Jewish home invited and they can share this with them but it is very um, it's a little bit of a sticky situation about the actual the actual offering the actual Pesach offering it cannot be eaten by anyone who is not of the house of Israel now Converts are part of the house of Israel. But the actual Pesach offering can only be eaten by Israel. It must be eaten 
no, and this is what is the meaning of this verse where it says, no son of alien values may eat of it. So we have a question about that. And even if there is a problem with a Jew who has alien values, you know, it's, it's a question. And every man's servant who is acquired for money, you must circumcise that he may eat of it. So all of the pe- all of the men within the household who would eat of the sacrifice, of the Pesach sacrifice, had to be circumcised. One who is not a full citizen or a hired hand may not eat of it. It must be eaten in one house. You may not take any of the meat out of the house and you may not break any of its bones. The entire community of Israel shall make it. And if a stranger sojourns with you and wishes to make the Pesach offering to God, then all his males must be sacrificed, uh, circumcised. I'm sorry. Then he may come near and make it and shall be like a native of the land. No uncircumcised person may eat of it. So he has reiterated this. He has said this twice. It's a very strong command. There shall be one and the same teaching for the native and for the stranger who dwells in your midst. And so this is this is not talking about like a Gertoshav who would be living in the land. This is talking about those people here, the word stranger is Ger, <clears throat> but it's talking about a person who was converted, a person who was living among the people of Israel as a part of the people of Israel. And those people may eat of the, of the sacrifice. Those strangers that are dwelling among the midst of Israel who have not been circumcised, of course, the law is that they may not eat of it. And all the sons of Israel did it, even as God had commanded Moshe and Aaron. So did they do. It came to pass on that very day when God brought the sons of Israel out from the land of Mitzrayim by their groups of hosts. That God spoke to Moshe as follows. And here is the answer to why Hashem slaughtered, uh, killed the firstborn. Sanctify to me every firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the sons of Israel, both man and a beast, it is mine. And Moshe said to the people, Remember this day on which he went out from Mitzrayim, out from the house of bondage, that by the strength of hand did God bring you out from there. And for this reason, no leaven shall be eaten. So he's stressing this again. How he's strongly stressing this again. Do not eat any leaven during the time when we commemorate this. Today you are going out in the month of the standing grain. And it shall be when God will bring you to the land of the Canaanite, of the Hittite, of the Amorite, of Hivite, and the Jebusite, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Then you shall observe this service in this month. Then you shall eat unleavened bread seven days, and then on the seventh day there shall be a festival consecrated to God. Unleavened bread shall be eaten these seven days, and no leaven shall be seen with you in your territory, not just in your houses, but in the whole territory. 
we can't even look at it. And if there was a mistake and something was, you throw something over it, you don't look at it. And then you shall tell your child, your child on that day, it is because of this that God acted for me when I came out from its line. And this shall be for you a sign upon your hand and a memorial between your eyes so that the teaching of God shall be the content of your mouth. And this is talking about what? The sign between uh, on your hand and between your eyes is talking about the tefillin. It's connected with this. That with a strong hand did God bring you out from the shrine, and you shall keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. And now it shall be when God will bring you into the land of, Can- of the Canaanite as he swore to you and to your fathers and he will give it to you that you will bring to God all that opens the womb and every firstling of the beast that will belong to you the males shall be brought to God every firstling of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb if you do not redeem it you must kill it with a blow to the back of its neck you must also redeem all the firstborn of men among your sons and if in time to come your son will ask what is this then you shall say to him, By strength of hand did God bring us out from its line, from the house of bondage. It came to pass when Paro was too stubborn to let us go, that God struck down every firstborn in the land of its line, from firstborn of man to the firstborn of beast. Therefore I offer up to God all that opens the womb, the males, and I redeem every firstborn of my sons. And it shall be a sign also between your hand and an ornament for your brow between your eyes that by the strength of hand did God bring us out from the shrine and again this is to fill it and when we look at the blood on the doorpost of the house this is where we call this is where we put the mezuzah that we remember Hashem we remember his oneness we remember what he did for us with everything that we do with every day of our lives that this is why, the way we go through our lives it's the rhythm of our seasons and it's that we're constantly remembering that he without his strong hand we would, we would have died in slavery that there would not have been redemption and we remember this is the thing that's so important that we should uh, think about that we remember this in the past but we also look forward to the future because that redemption that we see in the past is a picture, a foretelling of what is coming in the future. So we went through this in an hour. I was hoping that we would be able to get to that because there's going to come a time when that's going to be what we're going to have to do. But so I'm glad all of you were here, and I hope it was um, it was a good lesson for you. I did go through it rather quickly. 